Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Andy Graham is on the show today, everyone. Yep, you might recognize his name and face from YPN Magazine, another famous person. Yep, Tej Talks is is, is really getting up there. Um, jokes aside, even though that, that is technically true, he is a writer in there. Um, Andy Graham is of smart property, and he really talks about his team in this podcast a lot. And the emphasis is on how they've supported him and how they've all supported each other to build the business to where it is. Um, and a lot of the credit goes towards his business partners to kind of get him where he is. And that's quite humbling and I guess also important to know that, you know, sometimes you should just team up with people, whatever the um, kind of business is. And actually, it's got me thinking about how I'm working with my business partners and and how we can perhaps change that slightly. So it's a really interesting episode. He invests in HMOs in a few cities in the kind of north-ish, I'd call them the north anyway, and um, the kind of East Midlands. If you look at some of his pictures online, you'll see lots of really nicely designed HMOs. Um, and you'll see some really actually quite valuable posts on Facebook um, about, you know, the future of the property market, the HMO market, etc, etc. Um, and you'll get some nice visual inspiration for any HMOs that you're doing. So, Andy, take it away. Just kidding, it's me again. So, 70% of my listeners are on iTunes or the podcast app. And I think we ha- we're getting up to about a 1,000 listens a podcast now. That's about 700 people. Yes, that is 700. My math is right. Um, I've only got 105 reviews on iTunes. <laughs> Um, if you like loving the podcast and you're, you're liking the value and it inspires you and it kind of lets you hear from real people doing real things right now, please, please, please go to iTunes, rate and review and leave a pod, leave a um, review. Go to the podcast app, scroll right down to the bottom of my name and click write a review and leave some kind words. And if if you have a, a particular you know review, I'll, I'll read it out on the show and, and mention your name. Thank you. Andy Graham, welcome to the Tesh Talks podcast. Tej, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. No, the pleasure is all mine. I've got another YPN celebrity on the podcast, everyone. You are a writer for them. Um, and I see your face in your articles every month in them, which is awesome. Um, you also <laughs> um, post a lot on Facebook. And I think that's how I first started following you, which is, I guess, most of the guests. Um, and I saw your HMO rooms and I just thought, wow, you know, these look gorgeous. These look like the kind of place I'd want to live if I was a student or a young professional. And I thought, you know what? Let's get Andy on the show. And I think we spoke like, I don't know, was it two months ago about it? I think it was, yeah. It was sort of, yeah, back maybe October, November time, wasn't it? Yeah, so it's been a while. So I'm, I'm finally, I've got you on the show. Um, so, so let's get cracking with this. So for the people who don't know like your kind of backstory or who you were like pre-property, what was Andy doing with his? Um, oh, I was, uh, I'm 32 now. Um, I recently turned 32 and I got into property 10 years ago, so maybe about 21, 22, and that was not long out of university. So I actually trained at university uh, in Sheffield as a physio. So my professional career from you know, in my early 20s was was as a physio. And before that, I was you know just a usual sort of um, early 20s 
or late teens uh, guy, you know, doing the things that most sort of guys uh, of that age do, hanging out with friends. I was living in Cornwall, surfing. Um, I was in university at Sheffield and, you know, played for the sports teams and things like that. So, you know, my, my life was was fun but it was it wasn't you know exciting there was nothing you know that you would um be surprised to hear about so yeah it was it was a professional career in physio actually well before before the property stuff wow i have a lot of like pains and aches like a lot of the time so i think you and me need to have a, a separate talk so we can uh, we can utilize some of those physio <laughs> skills because that's good to know so yeah you, you obviously started really young and kind of like you said straight out of university so like how did you go from kind of i guess being a physio and knowing physio and kind of surfing and chilling to wanting to be in property especially at such a young age mm. It's interesting. One one of the reasons I went into physio, and it was probably the wrong reason, Ted, was because I, I saw it as an opportunity to be entrepreneurial and, and, and actually have a, a business. And, you know, at that time, I knew nothing about business. I did have a genuine interest in, in medicine. Um, I didn't want to be a medic. Um, I didn't fancy sort of the, the, the lifestyle and the schedule of a doctor. Um, but I was quite attracted to you know the uh, anatomical and physiological aspect of being a physio and, and i really enjoyed and sort of excelled in, in sort of areas around school and, and university um and i was able to take that through into my studies as a physio um but it you know it was it was the prospect of, of being able to potentially you know build a business out of it later um after i graduated which was a naive um, concept at the time and I, and I realized that quite quickly and there was you know the reality of being a physio was quite different and while the you know that the fundamentals of being a physio um, were the same in terms of you know what you did on a day-to-day basis the the prospects as a career and, and and the potential to sort of maybe take advantage of any entrepreneurial um uh, mindsets, talent, skills, um, desires that you might have, that actually I found wasn't there. And it was that that I think prompted me very, very quickly to look elsewhere to fulfill some of my um, desires in, in a professional career. Hmm. And, and was there like a particular, I don't know, advert or course or person or something that you said property is, is the choice I'm going to make now? <laughs> um, I, yeah, it was my uncle. It was it was nothing fancy. It, you know, ten years ago, um, I didn't I didn't know anyone who knew anything about property. I didn't know anything about you know the online groups that we we hang out in now. I'm not sure any of them existed then. Actually, uh, maybe they did, but I don't think so. Um, you know, it was you know ten years ago. Things like camera phones were you know and, and that sort of stuff and and Facebook. Yeah, you know, they were still relatively primitive um so i wasn't switched on to that whole world and like i said i was down in cornwall i've been at university and that's a fairly sheltered existence and uh, certainly down in cornwall it was um but it was my uncle my uncle was a builder and i always had a genuine interest hanging around the site so i would do bits of laboring work um in my holidays from uni to pick up a bit of cash but actually i just kind of liked going and, and grabbing a hammer and and sweeping and bagging stuff up and learning uh, you know whatever, whatever i could so that was the you know there was was, that was where my interest in, in property came from. And then I definitely had a sort of this sort of background 
nagging urge to 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 do something, you know, create a business and do something. And and I suppose I I kind of I put two and two together and and saw that you know maybe property investment could be something um, that that I could do. Um, and again, I was very very naive. Ted, do you, do you want do you want to know how kind of I, I ended up sort of doing the first deal and getting into it? Yes, sir. Tell me. <laughs> So I was so I'd gone down to Cornwall. I was maybe in Cornwall for a year or so, and and sort of as soon as I'd gone down, I thought, yeah, this is great. I'm going to surf, and I had loads of fun. Um, but I started saving straight away, and I was, you know, I was definitely quite fortunate at the time. I, I was able to live relatively cheap, and I was able to save a bit of money. And you know, if you if you wind the clock back, it actually puts us ten years ago, at, you know, around about two thousand nine. And we all know what happened, so 2008, 2009. Um, I didn't have any concept or grasp on this whatsoever. Um, you know, I was getting my first paychecks and life was comfortable and I was just saving a bit of money. So I didn't really have any any idea, any concept of, of what the, the crash had done to the market. But as I started to think about what I might do, you know, with this cash around saving and, and started to sort of formulate a bit of a plan around maybe sticking it into some type of property, um, what I actually decided to do was was buy a student property. And I suppose I was, you know, still fairly fresh out of university. You know, if you've been to university, you you know, I'm sure you'll you'll kind of remember the standards of your accommodation and the amount you paid and probably that disgruntled feeling of God, your landlord's making a killing out of you and your and your mates. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um and I didn't necessarily share share that um that feeling and want to wanted to be you know i didn't want to be a landlord you know just for that purpose but i definitely you know, could see that actually if you can buy a property and you can rent it out that seems to make a lot of sense and then you know, everyone's saying that property long term is a good thing um to do so i you know that's that's where i went with it and at the time i'd finished university but my my younger sister was sort of in her maybe her second or third year at university uh, a different university and I would go and see her and, and you know with my parents and things like that and it you know I saw something there and it and it and it just sparked an interest in it and you know it made sense to me to, to buy something there now this was three 350 miles away from where I was living in Cornwall so on paper it makes no sense at all and um, when I revealed this grand plan to my mom you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a property here I'm gonna turn it into a student house she thought I was a lunatic and she was, you know, she was, of course, she was absolutely right. You know, it was a bit of a mad idea. But, um, you know, like I am, I, I sort of, I ran with the idea and I started trying to assess and analyze some bits and pieces. And I and I, I viewed a couple of properties. And when I, I remember I, the, 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 the property, my first deal, the day I went up to see something, I was actually going to see another property. It was something that needed a refurbishment that was quite attractive to me. So I thought, great, I could do a refurb and it'll be worth a little bit more and then I can rent it. Um, and I went in and my heart sunk. It just, it needed the refurb, but the space, the house itself, it just didn't turn me on. And and I, and I, I you know, I innately knew that, that this property just wouldn't work for what I needed. Um, but while I was there, the agent said, well, we've actually just been given an instruction just up the road. Um, do you want to come and have a look at that? 
And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I went down and I, I went down and I, I was with my mum. And um, yeah, at this point, you know, she's kind of getting excited because she, she likes a deal. Um, but at the same time, she's saying this is crazy. And um, we went down and we looked at this house and the the daughter of the vendor showed us around. And it was the house of a lady who was going into care and they just decided that it was time to sell the house. And we went in and, and my eyes lit up immediately. It was... It wasn't, it wasn't terrible, um, but it was, you know, desperately in need of modernization um, throughout. And at that stage, you know, I wasn't capable, skilled enough to recognize that actually it needed a full rewire and it needed this and it needed that. Um, there was a, a rear sort of offshot extension that was, um, you know, not habitable in a sense. It was a cold room. Uh, the old larder was in there. So, you know, it hadn't been touched, this property, since it had been built um and you know immediately i could see the potential i thought i actually thought the time test i thought great the floor rooms here and the kitchen's there and the living room's there and brilliant this is going to work and they the agent told told us as we walked down to the house and she said they're putting it on and they're thinking about you know 115,000 pounds and um this is the midlands as well you know this isn't northeast or the, you know you know right up in the northwest you know this isn't the midlands so this is a good quality housing in you know what is still you know a very desirable area but we're 2009 and anyway we had a chat with my mum in the house and we conferred and i said i'm gonna offer i'm gonna offer i'm gonna offer you know i had no idea you know what mortgage terms were or anything at this point but i did i offered you know there and then on the spot and had a chat with a lady and on the spot we we came to an agreement of um 110,000 and they accepted it and and that was it and later on through the conveyancing uh, something popped up something cropped up just with the drains and actually we, we negotiated that to, to 109,000 um a little bit less but that's honestly how the first deal came about and um you know I don't remember all the intricacies of what happened after that. I don't quite remember how I ended up getting the mortgage and the terms and things like that, but I certainly know, you know, and remember it wasn't overly difficult. Um, so we did that and I, and I bought the house and this was independently. I had managed to sort of convince my mom and dad to, to lend me a bit of money for the refurb because I hadn't obviously accounted for that. I'd had the deposit, I sort of managed to save up the 25% deposit um i borrowed a bit of cash for the refurb and got got a mortgage for the remainder and i went ahead and cracked on and and i developed it and um it wasn't until my sister came to see it one day um when it was nearly finished that she said why, why don't you put a room here um and that was it and that was the fifth room and then <laughs> that was when you know the you know it really made sense actually and it's been run as a as a fifth sort of a five-bed student HMO, you know, from from sort of 2010. And it continues to to run as a five-bed and perform incredibly well. And, and actually, by pure coincidence, I, I was actually down there today with the HMO inspector because it's one of the ones that's fallen under the, the new licensing scheme. Wow. What a story. So it's, it's like, you know, a lot of people take a lot of time, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of thinking, a lot of analysis. You kind of, sounds like you, you know, jumped you know, like head first straight into it and you got it accepted and it's, you know, been working to this day and it's been working incredibly well. Like you've said, it's, you know, I'm not saying to everyone, yeah, just jump in there and, and do that. But at the same time, there's definitely a, um, a message of like, take action um, and kind of just 
go with things sometimes because you know it's worked out pretty well um i know a lot of people say, oh where were the spreadsheets where was the like weeks of analysis where was this but it kind of it, it, it did work really well for you and, and would you mind sharing you know like how much that nets a month yeah so the property um it it the gross sort of rent is is 1500 a month uh, that's exclusive of bills there there's no council tax or anything to pay on it so the gross rent's 1500 the mortgage uh, and actually it's going through a remortgage at the minute um we've got a nice rate at about 2.6 2.7 which is with a new precise product um is about you know just under 400 quid so you know the difference is well over a thousand pounds a month Tej. um and honestly i've never I've never put it into a spreadsheet and I've ne never analyzed the metrics um, in the way that we do now in a very professional manner. I just know it works and it's always worked. It's probably more than paid for itself over the years in terms of the rent and then sort of the, the, the equity along the way. It's sort of been revalued at uh, um, sort of, you know, towards 200 mark now. Um, so it is one of those that, you know, worked well and has continued to work well um, and, and and definitely it was something that I didn't put much thought into it um, but that was naivety and inexperience that wasn't um, even necessarily confidence I, you know, I was semi-confident but even so at that time I was intelligent enough to realize that I was you know spending a lot of money on something that I didn't know a lot about and there were elements of it that did make me nervous but um I didn't quite realize you know how precarious it could have been if it actually hadn't have worked or various elements of it hadn't have worked like maybe for example getting the refurbishment right or you know maybe even you know the the rental market you know I had no idea I hadn't even assessed what the rents would be and things like that so there was definitely a bit of um lady luck I think um mm. Tej on that one okay and then you know i know you said you've got 10 years in property so a bit of an ask but could you maybe talk us through um kind of those 10 years in terms of how you progressed from that that first property to to where you are now yeah the first property worked really well and you know the the numbers um have have been more or less the same and you can imagine it at, you know back back then that the mortgage was was smaller because because i have taken a bit of equity out at one point you know in the last 10 years but the mortgage was relatively small um rates were you know flat and it was it was performing well and it you know wasn't far off my junior salary as a physio and I thought, you know, this is brilliant. I'm, you know, I can really go surfing all the time now. And <laughs> and actually, <laughs> it gave me a bit of confidence um, in my professional career. And and at this point, I still hadn't realised that that physio, you know, long term was was not where I was going to be. And I hadn't realised that necessarily property was where I was going to be. But I did think this is great and this has worked, and I'm going to enjoy it, and I'm going to do another one. And so I did. I, I went back to Cornwall and. You know, I'd periodically come up, check the house, do what I needed, started learning things along the way, and just kept saving. And you know, it had piqued the interest of my mum and dad as well, um, as you can imagine, because they were thinking, actually, you know, that's that's worked quite well. Um, and put a bit of a plan together with mum and dad to get involved as well. So we, over the next few years, we bought a few more. 
very similar. Um, prices, you know, did start to creep up, but it always seemed to make sense. And I got a little bit better about, um, you know, every aspect of, of buying and refurbishing and, and running properties. And I just gathered some experience very much on hand on the job. Um, you know, I was there and present for the refurbishments. I would go, I would sort of, I would plan everything. I would um, keep an eye on everything. I'd, I'd go and stay for the weekends uh, and in the weeks where I could and, and, and muck in. And I was very much trying to do what I could on the tools, even though I'm not skilled in any way. Um, but I enjoyed being a part of that. And I suppose looking back now, I, you know, it was probably the start of my own little business. Um, it just didn't feel like a business then. Um, and then, of course, it got to a point where I was – you know, in, in, in my professional career, it was sort of really time to, to make a move after a couple of years and, and decide whether I wanted to specialize or not, um, which I decided to do. And I specialized quite quickly. And and um, and I continued to work in the health service and then actually got the opportunity to, to, to move into the private sector, which I did. And in the private sector, the, the hours and the contracts were, were much more flexible and and, um, and and that gave me a bit of an advantage and gave me more time in the property sort of side of, of what I was doing so I could spend a bit more attention. And, and I progressively developed um, more and more of an interest in in, in property and, and sort of the HMO model, you know, as a, as a potential long-term viable strategy. And I became progressively less and less um, involved in what I was doing as a physio um, and, and sort of less engaged in the ongoing professional development. And eventually got to a point where I thought, you know what, if I, want to do, if I really want to do this property stuff, I've, I've probably got to take it seriously. And, and I did. And, and I remember I, I, I made a decision that yeah, I'm going to do this. Now, that was probably around about the age of 25 by then so i've done maybe four years of it and we got a few and it was going well and i was quite happy and um, i was, I was sort of contracting as, as a physio and i started to think you know what well, I, I want to do this long term and maybe by some unfortunate coincidence you have this this feeling and this real sort of um desire to actually maybe step away from my professional career um, coincided with a, a sort of quite a difficult time in my life where I was I was surfing lots I was I was, you know, I was I thought I was fit and well and healthy but actually it turned out that I had um, I had something in, in my neck that had been that had been really irritating me for some time and um, it was it was becoming quite a persistent problem and to cut a long story short it was actually a, a thyroid cancer and you know i'm fine now and you know last year i was sort of a five year i got sort of signed off you know my five year kind of checkup it was all good which is great um but at that time it was you know it was a bit you know it was something that kind of blindsided me and my family um certainly wasn't expecting it and it was a real catalyst it really made me think you know been doing the physio stuff for a little while and I've not really enjoyed it so much and I want to do desperately do more of the property stuff and I've not really been brave enough to to go and do it and because I was contracting and I you know I needed a bit of bit of um, medical care 
Um, I took some time off work and I'd actually, before I'd sort of got diagnosed, which was actually, I think maybe on my 25th of, I think it was on my 25th birthday, I got the call and I was actually working on one of the houses of one of the HMOs at that time. But before I got the call about it, I'd, I'd actually made a decision to, to leave my sort of physio job so even though I had contracts I'd put my it was a sort of a, an ongoing contract and I put that down and I decided that I was going to first of all go out to Canada to do some snowboarding which is a big passion of mine so I'd had I'd, I'd, I'd sort of handed my kind of notice in if you like with with, with work I'd I booked this um, uh, sort of six-month trip to Canada all the flights were done and everything and then I kind of got diagnosed just before I just before I was meant to fly out to Canada. And so what happened was I ended up with, with no job, no no trip to Canada, you know, uh, potentially. And um, I'd, I'd left, sort of, I'd, I'd moved out of all my accommodation in Cornwall and, you know, in preparation to go to Canada. So I'd actually ended up, I actually ended up back in at home with my parents up in, in, in Manchester. So it was a pretty desperate time for me. Um, and, you know, the... the yeah I, yeah, I was very well cared for, and you know, I had some surgery, and I had a few options, and I and I chose, I chose to 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 sort of to not you know go down the route of, of having to sort of take long term medication and things, and and there was a bit of a an associated risk with doing that, but I decided just to have some surgery and and let's see how it goes, and, and that's what we did. Um, and you know, the good news is I'm absolutely fine. Um, but but that that whole period was definitely a catalyst um to to sort of get serious about property and and that's what i did that's exactly what i did wow and that that's that, you know that's that's so interesting because and you know a lot of people kind of say oh you know i'll quit my day job and i'll, I'll follow my passion property you know whatever it is um they keep saying that and saying that and then you know sometimes it can take an almost or a life-changing event before kind of people say oh uh, let me actually start and get into my passion and like I think it's kind of like a, a message to people is that life is you know short life is what you make it anything can happen tomorrow so like if if you're passionate about something like just take that risk because you can fail at something you don't like so why not fail at something you like um and kind of take that jump and push to what you're passionate about as opposed to waiting for you know the kind of right moment and and do you think, you know, being diagnosed and going through that has has shaped you as a person? Like, did it change your mindset? Did it help you in business? Like, what? how did you sort of come out of it? It, you know, it, it has, Tej, you know, I think more, more, than, more than anything, um, you know, that in, in my life today, it, it has. It was, you know, it was that realization that actually there were lots of things that, that we can influence and, and take control of. And there are lots of things that we can't and we can do our very best in different areas of our life to, to prevent certain things happening and to mitigate, you know, certain things happening. But ultimately, we are at the mercy of nature and the universe. And and, you know, if you can accept that um, and realize that we sh you know, we should absolutely make the most of what we've got, whatever that is then it can really change your your entire approach to, to everything. And, and for me, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't just an, a, a sort of a shifting attitude towards what I wanted to do as a career. It, you know, it rippled across um, all areas of my life, family, um, where I wanted to be, 
um, who I wanted to be with, how I wanted to spend my downtime when I'm not in work um, and things like that certainly got reprioritized for me as well. And it makes you realize very quickly how precious you know, the life is and the most important things in life. So absolutely, it, says you, you know, it had a huge impact, um, but in a very, very positive way. Mm, wow, powerful. And then how did you sort of go from like that sort of part of your life to then, I guess, where we are today with smart property and, and how much the, the company has grown and kind of how many properties you, you kind of have within the company and the kind of directors and building a team? And like, how did you go from that? to to where you are now (laughs) so i mean from this bit onwards you know i really can't take the credit for it you know i you know one thing i think if i look back at my my um career and um you know if 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 we can at all be considered a success and uh today uh you know if there's anything i can look back and say i did well it is recognizing that i'm not very good at lots of things and <laughs> and i realized very quickly if i'm going to take this seriously um i need to i need to work with the right people so it was around that time i i'd started sort of dabbling in some of the online property communities and i'd started mentioning it to, to mates down in cornwall who weren't really interested but one did happen to sort of say oh have you seen this and it was something about some jv and some you know and at that time that you know those words didn't really mean anything to me but to you and i now obviously we're quite familiar with what, what a joint venture is and um there was some blueprint he'd sort of put in my face and I thought, okay, well, this sounds really interesting. You know, if you can, if you could potentially work with other, you know, with other people, and maybe raise private finance, um, and, and possibly do other things in property, then, you know, maybe there is, you know, a, a sort of a really good business model here somewhere. And I had no idea what that looked at, what that looked like. Sorry, but what what I absolutely did recognise was that I'm not very good um, at certain things, and you know, uh, and and actually, I didn't want to do it on my own either. Um, and I spent time trying to meet people and network and, and in doing so, um, I met Nick who is, you know, one of the co-founders of smart property and, you know, my business partner, one of my best mates. And, you know, Nick is, Nick is an absolute genius. Um, he's one of those guys. He can, he can do things with numbers that, you know, amaze me. He can he can operate at a level that I can't in terms of utilization of finance and development of financial models. And he also has you know a huge number of other skills you know, you know well beyond accounting. Um, and we absolutely shared you know found that we we shared you know the same kind of burning desire to create some huge property business. And we had no idea what that was going to look like, but we just knew we wanted to do it. Um, so when I met Nick, I thought, yeah, this is, this guy's, you know, this guy's serious and, um, he, you know, is going to definitely make some money. <laughs> and if I can tag along with him for that ride, then that's probably a pretty smart thing to do. Um, so that's exactly what we did. And we, you know, we met for a, for a coffee in the Hilton and, you know, it just kind of went from there. Now, in honesty, it took us a while to to get any traction at all because we had no idea what the business was going to look like. We had no business model. We didn't have a huge sort of amount of experience in business at all. We just had a bit of property experience. And Nick, actually, at the time, was doing something very similar to me. He bought a couple of a couple of buy to lets. Um, I'm not even sure 
maybe one of them was a student let. Certainly one of them, I think, was originally just a, a, a resi let or, a, or was being used as a professional let. Um, but we, we, we'd essentially been doing the same things. Um, and we started working together. And, and over the course of a year, we, we started to formulate you know, the, the, the smart property vision. And it took us a while, and we were both still working contracting. I was still doing some private physio contracting, and, and Nick was doing the same in, in, in accountancy, previously being with Deloitte in the city. And we we incorporated the company in 2015, um, and we set the wheels in in motion. And you know, lots of stuff happened between now and then. But maybe it's maybe I should just fast forward to where we are now, Tej, and give you an mm-hmm. idea of. Kev, how quickly it all happened and yeah. unraveled. Go for it. And then it'd be also good, to, I guess, to to understand some of the deals within smart property and kind of what, what yeah. you've been working on as well. Yeah. So from, from 2015, when we incorporated to, to now, smart property looks like somewhere in the region of 100 properties. Um, a big portion of those are owned. A big portion of those are under managed under long term lease, like like rent to rent, and a growing portion are under a standard standard management basis with private landlords. About ninety percent of the portfolio is is student accommodation, student private student housing, and about ten percent are professional rooms. Um, so you know to get from where we were to where we are now was you know a real roller coaster and um in many fa- in many ways it, you know it, it 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 felt so so difficult and then at times we kind of step back and we think wow you know look what we've done look what we're doing um and there are various ways that we were able to do that um various deals along the way and, and one thing that catalyzed that process for us and, and you know again huge credit to nick here um was was going on Crowdcube. We raised some equity finance on Crowdcube. We actually went on to Crowdcube, the, the sort of the crowdfunding platform. I'm not sure if you know it, Tej, but it's um, one of the, one of your. I think it may be Europe's biggest crowdfunding platform um, for new businesses. And we approached them with with the business and our model and our idea, and they they loved it and they they sort of took us took us on board and we went live on the platform and. Um, Crowdcube valued us in 2016. Bear in mind, we'd, we'd started the business in 2015. We'd started, got the ball rolling, got some properties on them. We'll, we'll come back to, to those. But in 2016, Crowdcube value, valued the smart property business. At, I think our post-money valuation was 1.3 or 1.4 million by then. Um, and we sold uh, a, a, a portion of equity in, in the smart property business. Um, and we we were able to raise several hundred thousand pounds, which we then could use for operational purposes. It wasn't ever for purchasing property, but it was for for operational development, for growing the actual business. Um, so that's what we did in 2016, and that was you know that was another huge sort of milestone. So meeting Nick was absolutely one of them, and then um, and then going on Crowdcube was was absolutely one of them. So. Does that kind of give you help? Give you a bit of an overview of where we're at, Tej? Now it, it does, and and you know you said the uh, the crowdfunders and and the company itself loved the model and kind of business. What is smart property? So smart property is, um, in essence, it's an in, an investment and management business. We have 
two arms to what we do. We, we do work with private finance in an investment um, manner, um, and we also manage properties. And a lot of those properties, um, certainly in the earlier days, were, were properties that we owned or that we were buying with our investors and that we, we had to manage them. We had a, you know, an obligation and responsibility to manage them long term. And buying the properties is great. And, and you know, we, we were able to take you know, fees from, from investors um, you know, when we were doing that. But actually, you know, the management fees became quite substantial. And we realized how substantial. And then we realized, actually, this is you know, a really important arm to the business now. And that's been able to grow and grow. What we also did was, um, and we did this. We did this as early as 2015. I, I build. I think we did this in 2015. We took our first deals on on a rent to rent basis on as well. Um, and they were. That was actually the the very first deal we did in smart property was a rent to rent business. So we take properties on a, on a, on a long lease basis as well, uh, like a rent to rent model. And they kind of we 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 put them under our management rate. Um, so arm, if you like, as well. So we have the investment stuff that we buy with prop with with investors and various fees we collect, and then we have the management arm of the business, which is the standard the standard management fees that we collect on on all our investment stock and stuff that we have with private landlords, and then it's also the 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 management fee, if you like to call it a fee, um, that we we take from all our our rent to rent properties. Uh, I see. Very interesting. And I guess a good way of also diversifying your portfolio slightly so that there's kind of, I guess, protected against market changes or risks or things like that. And it's a bit more fun to do different things, right? So if we look at kind of the like um, rent to rent side, is there a particular deal that kind of stands out to you that you kind of look back at and think, wow, that was, that was pretty good? Yeah, we we did some fantastic deals on the way and don't get me wrong Tej you know it's never been easy at all some definitely came easier than others but it's never been easy um you know my favorite deal my my absolute favorite deal is um uh is one we did in in Manchester in Fallowfield where our our operations now extend across several cities about six cities and we have a we have more business partners, um, James Clark and Jim Southall, uh, our business business partners, and they run our kind of north northwest operations. And those guys joined us sort of round about just shortly after we went on Crowdcube, um, so sometime in 2016. And um, Jay picked up a lead for a, a a block of student houses in in sort of central Manchester, you know, completely utterly prime. Um, uh, and it was a big deal. It was 25, 25 bed block. And you know this. You know even then we thought, yeah, this is you know, the chances of us getting this are so slim. We, you know, we don't really know how to put a deal like this together. The refurb alone was going to be about seventy thousand um, pounds. You know we needed. You know we really wanted to get a ten year lease out of it for it to make the most sense. Um, that had considerations of, of having to be registered on on, on the land registry. Um, it was a very complicated deal. It was Lloyd's Bank were involved. Um, it was sort of prolonged negotiations, um, and we'd never negotiated a deal of that size. We bought some decent properties, but negotiating a lease of that size was definitely definitely new to us. And James took the lead on it, uh, but we all chipped in. It was a huge team effort. Um, it took us it took us about the best part of a year to get the deal done. So if anybody is under any illusions that this was an easy deal, they'd be absolutely wrong. It took us about a year to get the deal done. 
Wow. Um, for various reasons. And eventually, we signed the deal, I think, maybe a couple of days before the 1st of July. And this is a 25-bed student block. And we needed it with vacant possession because we needed to do a full refurb. Uh, and that's because we needed to get tenants in an elevated rent to really make the deal work. And we knew the rents we could achieve because by this point in the business, we're absolutely no fay with, you know, analyzing, um, you know, all the opportunities that we look at. So we knew where you know, we absolutely knew the level this, this thing had to work, but we had to get vacant possession and we had to refurb it. So we completed just before July and the student cycle works in that students typically work move in on the 1st of July. Anywhere between the 1st of July and the 1st of September is when the academic cycle starts. And we had a bit of a predicament at this point because it all happened very, very quick, quickly last minute. You know, it was, you know, it didn't look like it was going to happen and it, and it suddenly happened and we took control of it. We had to get this this team in to refurb it, 70 grand's worth of stuff to refurb has lots of considerations. And when you need to do it in four weeks, there are a huge number of sort of things to take into account. And, you know, to say we were overstretched would be a huge understatement. Um, but you know what? We did it. We, we managed to refurb this entire thing, five kitchens, 10 bathrooms, um, empty the whole thing, redecorate the whole thing, repair, maintenance, new floors, um, various electrical works that needed doing to get the certificates, fire alarms, you know, just so much to think about. Everything you could possibly think about on a standard rent to rent, it was there. And we had to do it across the board. Um, even things like sorting the locks out for these things was a nightmare because you know, we had tradesmen just in and out constantly and you know, figuring out you know, a way to keep the building secure and things like that was a real nightmare. Um, but we got it done and Nick, the genius he is, had said, said to us, if we can do this refurb and finish it for the 1st of August and start, the tenancies, start some tenancies on the 1st of August, it will save us about another sort of five to ten thousand pounds because that's what the guarantee was a month. Um, that was what the the, um, the payment to the to the owners is. It's about sort of just over five thousand. Um, so that's what we did. We put ourselves under a lot of pressure, and at the same time, we were trying to get the whole building let. Which somehow James, our business partner, who I've mentioned, James is a genius when it comes to letting rooms, um, and he did it. And he got the whole thing let to these tenants at the elevated rent. He upsold the whole thing and we got them let. And I think we were sort of around about the £110 a week mark on that year. I don't quite remember exactly where we were. But we, we were at a level where, where it was spot on and that was where we wanted it to be. And it was brilliant. Um, and if I fast forward, just kind of tell you what that what that deal looks like now. Mm. Um, it was The refurb was about 70000 The lease on it is about five five a month um so in over a year so about 60 60,000 we make um on each property about two and a half thousand a month um so we we more or less kind of have a about a hundred percent um uplift on 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 the rent um that we give to the landlord it's on a 10-year lease so we've got it for the entire term uh and you know within that we take you know, the responsibility and the, li the liability for various things, including licensing, um, but also, you know, the, the sort of the general wear and tear, maintenance, upkeep and things like that. So there are various costs considered, but um, it is a very, 
very good deal, very profitable deal. And actually, it was a you know another game changer for us because the cash flow from that meant that the the business in the northwest was you know suddenly you know performing very well in, in its own right and it, in, in it and it gave us additional opportunities there as well so yeah i think of all the deals we've done that one's got to be my most memorable and you know if i you just to give you an example of how tough that that was at times we we ended up having gypsies on the on the building site and all sorts and it was there were so many considerations and so so many headaches with trying to get it done and get it done safely and get it done on time. Um, and you know, boy, did we deserve a beer when that project was done. <laughs> <laughs> and what you know, because it, that's a hefty refurb, probably the most I've ever heard of on a on a rent to rent, and probably the biggest rent to rent deal I've ever heard of. Now, why did you not want to buy it outright at the start or get a lease option on it so you could kind of have ownership or do a delayed completion or why were you so comfortable spending a lot of money on something you I, I know there's you know a, a long long lease and you've got contracts and all that stuff but what made you so comfortable to spend so much money and not want to own it at some point it's you know it's a great question Tesh. um we did get a valuation on the building and at that time we were probably not comfortable enough to to appraise and, and potentially buy a building that you know um, started with a one and and finished in million uh, and <laughs> you know something else in between, it was probably just a bit too much for us to swallow um, the idea of buying it. Um, also, as well, you know the the model that we sort of that we we really sort of set off on was to first and foremost create a cash flowing business, um, knowing that. We could, you know, raise finance and we could buy things as and when we wanted to. And actually, the the cash flow on this deal was um, so substantial that it actually made a lot more sense for us to do this. So, if we wanted to buy it, we would have been in for a lot more than seventy thousand pounds. And yes, we would have made a bit more um, every month on it. And yes, we would probably, you know, have a bit more at the back end as well. But actually, for what we wanted. The return on that seventy thousand was really quite phenomenal, and actually, if you look at it outright on its own, versus what what you would have had to put into the to the deal if you wanted to buy it, um, we never would have achieved the same return on on the capital employed. So, you know, it just made so much sense for us to do that. Um, and you know, the biggest risk we saw was that it was seventy thousand and that we would lose that. Um, I'm not saying we could afford to lose seventy thousand, but we knew, you know, we'd 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 looked at every possible um, um, scenario on this, and and you know, evaluated all the risks, and we were, you know, we were we were very confident with with the analysis and and actually how it would perform, you know, given our plan. Wow, and then you know, so I I've kind of realised that you know your property is a real kind of property business like there's a lot of investors who you know not good or bad not right or wrong are doing it themselves doing it with one other person kind of even if it's their full-time gig it's not necessarily a business and i can see from what you're saying and how you're talking and from looking at your website and your kind of social media that because you're a business i mean like do you find it easier to attract and kind of speak to investors because they see you as a bit more serious or would you say that the kind of one man two man bands that are just purely investing and giving people returns are 
you know, so it can still attract investors like you can being a business as such? We, I think, I think it's the short answer is, 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 is no, you know, the fact that it's a business isn't why it attracts finance. I honestly don't think that we've got, if we look at the business that we have now, we have, we have three different customers, really. We, we have investors, we have landlords and we have tenants and they're all equally important just in very different ways. And our business has to be able to, um, deliver various requirements that each of those customers need in, in, in different ways. And they, you know, we mediate on different platforms in different ways with them. Um, and I think, in all honesty, when it comes to the investment side of things, Tej, I think the investors have always invested in us because of who we are and not because of what we look like, not because of the, you know, the the plaque on the wall. Um, and, and, and I think that's a huge credit to how we set out and who we are as people and the values that we share between us, um, you know, the directors and, and also the, the, the staff that, that work with us as well, that for us. Um, and we, yes, we do, we are able to attract more and more finance now um, than, than we did initially. But I think that's because we have generally exposed ourselves more and more to, to the, to the, to the property community, if you like, um, through various avenues and, and actually, and I'm sure we'll go into it as we chat, but the you know the majority of our investors don't come from the sort of the property communities that um, you know, we tend to network in in these groups. Our investors are, are typically sort of a, from, a, from from a slightly different network. Hmm. And you know, let, let's talk about those avenues. So obviously, you write for YPN magazine. Um, you're quite active on social media. Like, how important is like marketing to you so you know digital kind of social media but then also your kind of content that you write as well i i think it's invaluable um I, you know it's very difficult to put a put an actual price on it um and you know to to, to sort of assess what your sort of return on time you know is when you're you know you're building marketing projects and delivering marketing projects and writing and things like that but if we look at the overall trend of our business, yeah, I think it's one thing that we can all confidently say has definitely been um, uh, a success. Um, and, you know, personally, I, th I think it's hugely important. I think we, if we want, you know, we, we want to do what we do um, to the best of our abilities. And, and actually we feel a certain responsibility and obligation to, demonstrate that and to also contribute to you know furthering that by raising our own standards and, and taking uh, learnings and um, skills from other people and other businesses but also you know to be able to give back and share our learnings and our experiences with other people who can also reinvest that back into to the property community it's so we absolutely think that, that there's a duty an obligation responsibility to do that but you know, from a business point of view, it is crucial. Um, and, you know, I think it, it doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're, you know, you're, you're at 100 properties or 500 properties or five properties or no properties. You know, I think that is crucial. And people will engage, um, you know, much more with the people behind the business than they will the actual business. That's certainly my experience anyway. Um, and so that's, you know, one of my, you know, one of my 
roles at Smart Property is is to kind of lead our marketing side of things, and and I'm, you know, by my own admission, you know, far from a marketing and sales expert. I know very little. My background's in medicine, um, so I've kind of been learning it as I go, and I'm. You know, I'm sure in, in a year and two and three years, I'll look back and think, yeah, what, what was I doing then? And I could have been doing that and I shouldn't have been doing that. Um, and we've absolutely made some really terrible mistakes with it along the way. But I think the consistency and the persistence that we've applied to it has ultimately won over. And we've crafted a you know a, quite a strong brand that people really engage with, which I'm so proud of. Um, and, you know, it has, you know, at some point translated into revenue. Mm, fantastic. And for everyone listening who isn't, you know, using social media, using marketing, you've seen and heard of the success that, that Andy's had, you know, not of course 100% due to it, but it's definitely invaluable. Um, so get on it, start using it, follow Andy on Facebook, on Instagram, look at the website, look at the kind of things that he's pushing out there and the pictures and the way they're taken and what he writes, because, you know, as much as he's posting on Facebook, he's actually giving a lot of useful information you know his opinion on the market his experience with hmos etc etc so you know definitely kind of follow him and maybe even model um the kind of things he posts because you know they're definitely valuable um so and, and it's interesting to know like so you do you have like an in-house build team or do you kind of always use different contractors or how does your sort of how do you keep refurbs going well to the same standard every time and not have to worry about them to, to an extent well, the honest answer, Tej, is that we don't always get that right. Um, we are lucky um, and fortunate in some sense that we maybe found the right people in some of the areas that we work in. In other areas, we found it more difficult. And people and circumstances change and what we, we require often changes and people have to sustain by doing other jobs so they're not always available so it is a um, it is always a challenge to find and maintain you know, really good build teams we don't have any on staff at all we don't have any maintenance on staff at all that's something that we've made a conscious decision not to to do and, and to, not to move towards and, I, and, it, and it's certainly not something that's within any of our our, our plans for the foreseeable future um, but we do where we can take great care of the relationships that we have with our builders that work with us um, regularly. And in Sheffield and Leicester, we absolutely have that. We have two build teams that um, have done numerous projects with us and have an acute understanding of what we need in terms of standard um, timescales um, and, and also cost. And it, it, there's definitely a balance there and vice versa. And we really try and look after them and respect them um, because they are you know, a, a crucial part of, of the smart property business, even though they're not on the payroll. Um, but on the contrary, there are times where it has been really, really tough. And in this year, you know, one of our projects really struggled. Um, we kind of missed the deadline. We uh, you know, got into a real pickle with, with one of the build teams and, and it didn't go well. And it's taken us a long time to, to unravel that. And um, sometimes that's the way it goes. And you have to learn from it and you have to try and avoid it. But I think there's a reality to working in building and property. And, and that is that it is a, a, yeah, one of the, the tough parts that 
that um, to get right, and and sometimes you've just got to factor it in, and, it, and at some point it might cost you, but if you can if you can absorb that cost and, and learn from it and and work around it, then that's okay. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people who approach me and ask for advice, um, you know, a, a lot of it is also about you know build and, and how to get that right and how do you pick the teams and there's no there's no real right answer. It's um, when you get the right team. Just hold on to them for dear life and and, and look after them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so what what is um in the pipeline for smart property? What's in the future? What are you working on next? Um. Okay. So we have uh, a couple of cool things going on. We are venturing into much bigger deals now. So yesterday, and today, actually, I've been in some discussions about some big opportunities that we're talking to our, our investors about. So one is a portfolio of about 29 HMO rooms, um, which is quite chunky. Um, the rent roll on it is, is it looks really good. Um, obviously, you know, that stuff doesn't come cheap. Um, and we're at that sort of level where we're, you know, we're, we've got clients um, who, who, who want that sort of thing. And we're in a position to be able to confidently Take it on, run those sorts of projects simultaneously, and 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 manage it at the back end as well. There are lots of considerations. Um, you know, we just touched on building, and, and you know, if you take you know half a dozen student properties on, and you need to refurbish them all in summer, you've definitely got a um, a consideration of you know capacity there, and you know that's something that we would you know really have to think about. Um, we're also looking at bigger buildings. We're looking at blocks, student blocks. Now we looked at a couple last year, um, sort of in the sort of 20 to 40 bed range um, that could be purchased and developed. But we not, you know, we've not quite managed to to get one yet. A um, couple of opportunities fell away um, for various reasons. Yesterday, I also, you know, I've got a I've got, I've got a 25 bed block on at the minute, which we're talking about with investors, and again. You know, we'd be able to deliver that and take that on. So those are the sorts of deals we're looking at at the minutes where, you know, a year or two ago, we probably, were, you know, didn't feel like we were quite ready to take on. But I think our confidence, you know, now is is, is such that we, you know, we, we're happy to do that. Um, we're, we're absolutely growing the portfolios in every direction. So the the, the investment portfolio um, the, the sort of the rent to rent stuff and, and the standard management, certainly, you know, we're really sort of starting to ramp that up because we can bolt it onto our services now. Um, as long as we're happy that the properties and the landlords that we're working with align with our values and, and what we, what we represent, then we can just keep taking them on. And we feel like that will just continue to strengthen our, our overall service, service offering. Um, awesome. big, big, big picture stuff. Yeah, no. Who knows? I mean, yeah. You know, we, you know, it's business, and we all want to make some money. Um, but I, you know, I think at the minute we don't set our sights too far ahead. We we like to plan for the next year. Um, but I think you know we're definitely venturing towards more deals and more bigger deals. Um, on the side, me and the business partners have, have sort of started to to show some interest in some uh, some new build sort of development stuff as well. And we we've, we've got. Um, we have actually got a site that's in, in planning. It's actually stuck in appeal. Very frustrating, but that is definitely the nature of, of planning and planning gain risks and things like that. So we're looking at that kind of thing as well, um, and we'll do some of that. But you know, we're not in a huge rush. The, the absolute priority is, is 
is smart property and it's not it's not Andy and it's not Nick and it's not James or Jim it, it is smart property and it's our staff and it's it's continued to just just grow the business steadily and, and sustainably yeah no I love that absolutely and you know just, just for the listeners before I ask my next next question what areas do you invest in could you just list the towns because it'll be relevant to my yeah. next question um Leicester Sheffield Manchester Salford Chester and there are some peripheral towns sort of in between as well that we invest in. And, oh, we've got a portfolio in the East Midlands as well that supplies Nottingham University. Okay. And so I know you said a lot of these are HMOs. A lot of your pictures online are student HMOs that look re- really awesome. Now, you know, HMOs can be difficult for people, especially when you're new, because it's like, oh, is there demand for it? Um, you know, are people going to like it? How do I get a good one? How-? There's so many questions around it, but I think something that, puts a lot of people off experienced or new is that they feel a market is saturated because everyone and their auntie's doing it so you know briefly because this question could go on for hours is like what are your sort of views or predictions on kind of the hmo market in those cities in those towns over the next year you know is it saturated does saturation exist mm. It's a great question, and I get I do get asked it a lot, and, I, and I've written about it a number of times in in, in YPN as well. Um, my, you know, I'm definitely biased towards the the student market, and I'm not as acutely aware of what's going on in the professional market. There was a conscious decision there by me and, and by sort of the the partners to to kind of move away from professional accommodation, not not entirely, but. Um, it was definitely not going to be the sort of the focus of the business, and and that's definitely because it, it has considerations that the student market just doesn't have, and, and saturation or the, the potential for saturation is definitely one of them. The the student market, if we look at that one first, the the biggest risk is probably the purpose-built student accommodation, and you, know, you only need to go into the cities to see that these these big blocks are flying up. You know, Watkins Jones and then, then you know, tens of thousands of rooms, um, and that is a potential threat. Um, my opinion of this is that it probably will lead to the bottom tier of, of student accommodation falling away. Um, but then that has always been the case as the top tier has been recycled. Um, it'll probably continue to perform very well for the overseas market and um, uh, for, for first year students, undergraduates. But the... The market for second, third, and sort of fourth-year students, certainly in the home sort of homegrown students, I think is going to continue to to be very strong. I, my opinion is that the you know, to have such an impact that it that it really dented the the um, the viability of, of the the student property as as an asset class would require a changing culture of students to. You know, say that they don't want to any longer live in in student houses, student pads with their mates, and you know, have fun and have parties. You know, to instead go and live in the city centres in the purpose-built blocks. You know, on these studio pods on their own. And I don't see that happening. I can see maybe a very gradual um, a change in the proportion, perhaps. But do I see a sort of a, a cultural move towards that? You know, I'm not sure. I do. I don't see that. The professional market, on the other hand, I think is a bit more precarious um, and HMOs have definitely become more attractive um, as you know, yeah, we're in a point in the cycle where you know, most things are yield driven, uh, yields are getting squeezed. 
money from the south and overseas is coming in and you know i must get an email from hong kong every week about you know investing in hmos so that money is being deployed and, and it's being deployed into properties that give a good, very good return and, and typically you know in peripheral towns smaller towns professional combination will give a much better return than it will on a student property um and that's because you're not having to pay for things like the, the article 4 premium and you're not competing with other investors who have already identified it as a student property um you can take advantage of things like permitted development rights um i do see there being more of a threat there but i think you know certainly you know, the quality and the standard of accommodation that i've seen come through the groups which you know is really inspiring you know even as someone who's doing it yeah, I think it's just incredible. Um, I think if you're doing that, as well as really taking very good care of the overall viability of the assessment, which means looking at the numbers, assessing what happens in worst case, what happens if you you know, you you have voids maybe sort of as low as 70, 80 percent, rather than you know 92, 98 percent. Um, if you really are serious about how important managing the inquiries for your rooms are when they're online um how how important it is to manage your tenants properly when they're in there if you take care of the multi facets um of of, of running a hmo but buying and running a hmo then actually i think you'll remain you can remain in that that top tier and actually your risk against any potential saturation issues is mitigated and and that's you know absolutely what i am recommending that people do so long term is it does it continue to be an opportunity you know, the answer for me is definitely yes uh Tesh. okay very well said i think people are gonna have to listen to that twice to really take that in because there's um there's definitely a bit of strategy in there to to think about moving forward with hmos so before we get to the quick fire round which is uh which is coming up very soon what is an app resource bit of software something that's techie that you and, and smart property can't live without <laughs> um whatsapp <laughs> <laughs> simple i love it no i'll take that WhatsApp. we can't live without whatsapp i can't you know you, you me and the guys we just constantly firing stuff over quick questions and without that you know we wouldn't know where the hell we were honestly yeah no fair enough so brings us to the last set of questions of the show now what would be your top three tips for people who are new in property investment three quick top line tips for them number one be be clear about what you want to do um don't set off on a path if you don't know where you're going um make a decision first and you might need to get advice you might need to get help to do that first um but you know, don't commit to something without being very clear about what's involved and what, what you actually want it to become. Okay. Second tip? Be patient and be persistent. Mm -hmm. Good. Two Ps. Third? Be transparent and be honest. Love it. And what are the biggest three mistakes that you and, and Smart Property have made, perhaps, in, in your journey in property? The first one is assuming it's easy. <laughs> I, I like that. I think social media and, and you know courses and stuff can can perpetuate that. Yep, agreed. Um, Mismanaging expectations would be another way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yep. And um, number two, I've written down trading standards. There's a story behind it, but you know, you know what I would recommend nobody ever does is send out information you know on a direct mail shop that has 
um, incorrect information about licensing and licensing policy because that will come around and slap you in the face. Awkward. That sounds awkward. Um, yeah, definitely don't do that, people. Solid advice. Um, and then what would be the third mistake? One of, the, one, of the, one of the things that we've had to learn very quickly is how to manage staff. And it was something that we didn't get right early on. Um, I think we assumed that everybody would be bought in to the business and what we do and, and understand it in the same way we do as, as directors and owners of the business. And that's not the case. So number three would be you know, not managing staff properly. Great. Well, not great, but great advice. Um, and then what would be your top three goals for the future? And these can be personal goals like surfing more, snowboarding more, or they can be kind of company career goals. I think career goals. We we want to get to a position where um, the every aspect of what we do is fun. Um, and at the same time, we don't have to be acutely involved in it. So you know, I'm not going to put a revenue figure on because I don't know what that looks like. Um, and if there's one thing I've learned, it's the goalposts continually change. Um, and you can largely, as, as an owner of a business, control that. You can say, actually, we're happy at this level, and let's just let's just smooth this operation out and kind of put our legs up um, and and relax. But it you know it would be good to get to a point like that at some point in our sort of business life and and feel like yeah you know we've done a good job and and this bad boy is just just sort of running itself now and we can enjoy it so you know i don't know when that's going to be and you know i think it's probably a decade away you know yeah i think we'll be a decade from from when we we, we really kind of feel like that's that's a possibility the second goal is definitely to get out to the mountains more i'm a big big fan of the mountains and you know running a business takes up a lot of time um huge amount of time um, and I want to get out to the mountains more. And, and my, my my biggest biggest sort of goal there is to um, is to go heliboarding. Wow, what what, what is yeah. that? Going out in a helicopter and they drop you off on these mountains and you just ride down and then the helicopter comes and picks you back up and takes you up. Um, and for me, you know, when I've done that, I've made it. That that sounds <laughs> rad. To use like a, a you can come term. as well if you want. To. Um, maybe I'll just <laughs> sit in the helicopter and uh, just like film you. That yeah, I'll do that. You, you let me know and I'll be there ready to film you. Oh, no mountain for me. And uh, what would be the third goal? Um, you know, the third long long term for me is you know, uh, you know, build and have my own family. Um, yeah, that is a yeah definitely a long term goal, but. Yeah, it's definitely something that I know I want to do, and um, when the time's right, I'm sure you know we'll, um, you know, I'll, 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 you know, push myself in that direction, and and we'll, you know, it'll become a, a you know, a big part of my life, and and you know, hopefully, you know, you know, I like to look at things and put them in perspective, and and family and sort of purpose is, you know, is where it all comes back round to for me, and you know, I think that's where it's got to be. Awesome. I'm going to put you on the spot now and ask a question that I've never asked to anyone on the show, but listening to you made me think, I should be asking this. Now, in in one line, what has property given you? What has it allowed you to do in life? In, you have to answer in one line. Property has given me uh, fulfillment, uh, purpose, and... And pure enjoyment. 
Love it. Those are powerful words from a powerful from a powerful business and, and, and a way to get to all these things. You know, it's a challenge, it's difficult as as you've kind of touched on. Um but I think your your story will be really inspiring, especially given how early you started and, and how much you've achieved in the business you've built and, and what Smart Property is doing right now um, and the team that, that Smart Property has in it. So, Andy, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's It's been so interesting listening to you. And I know the listeners are going to take a, a lot of value from this podcast. Yeah. Well, no, thank you so much, Tej, for, for having me on. And, um, you know, it, it's it's not often I get to, to do stuff like this. Um, and, and not often actually, you know, I, I sort of get to say thank you to, to, you know, my business partners and, and the people around me that support me. So, you know, this is a nice opportunity for me to be able to kind of say thanks to those guys. And, uh, you know, without them, you know, this isn't really the, you know, the Andy Graham story, you know, this is the smart property story. And, and, you know, without those guys, you know, none of this is, is possible at all. Absolutely. Big up smart property. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.